Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. Arch is like, oh, you know, I saw this news about Mulan, and I said, yeah, how do you feel about that? And he was like, well, I, you know, I have access to Disney Plus, it'll be fine. I'm like, but you still have to pay $30, even if you have Disney Plus. Then I get the response, right. what? At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hello there, I'm Lou Katz, and we welcome you to the podcast that tries its best to keep you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment. And please welcome from Vulture.com and our pals at WTOP Radio, the one, the only, the never-ever-exhausted Jen Cheney. Never, never, never. And standing socially distanced from the concession stand, yes, you know him, the guy who started reviewing movies when you could get in to see one for a dollar and a quarter. No, no, wait a minute, isn't that 15 cents now? (laughs) Please welcome Arch Campbell. I used to complain when it was a dollar and a quarter, too. I want to tell you that. Well, here we are, Lou and Jen, and as usual, let's start by tapping into Jen Cheney's brain the only working brain among the three of us for the latest update on uh, what's new in cable and streaming. What do you like in these days, Jen? Well, there's a couple things on HBO. Uh, Lovecraft Country just got started uh, last week. This is a show, uh, Misha Green, who did Underground, is the showrunner, but Jordan Peele is one of the executive producers. Mm -hmm. And it's very much in his wheelhouse in that it's, you know, a show set in Jim Crow times, but that also mixes horror with racial and social issues. Uh, I think it's really interesting. It was, it's a great first episode. I don't know if you had a chance to catch it, Arch. I did watch it, and I have a couple of quick thoughts. Okay. Um, I was surprised that he. You, there are monsters in it. I don't think we're giving anything away uh, for that. And I was surprised he showed them because a lot of his stuff, he uh, plays on your imagination and you don't see the monsters. So that kind of surprised me. And I'm getting tired of recreations of 1940s uh, big band and jazz. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, I either want the real thing or I want to go on and and go somewhere else. Uh, But I'll watch next week. And I thought it caught fire as it uh, got rolling. Mm-hmm. How about you? And I, I, saw, I saw the first episode with everybody else. Right, right. I need to watch more. I've, I've seen the first two. Uh, and it's it really is, it's different from episode to episode is what mm-hmm. I will say. So the fact that you saw those monsters, you may see different monsters in, in later episodes, if that makes any sense. You know, I, I, I need to see more episodes before I can say wholeheartedly how I feel about it. But um at the very least, I, I would like to say that this this is now officially the movie Green Book in my mind, and the movie Green yeah. Book no longer exists. <laughs> it's Green Book meets uh, the zombies. <laughs> Except not bad, I, like Green Book was. <laughs> I, uh, I do like the cast a lot. I thought the actors are terrific. I thought he cast it really well. So Yeah, yeah, it is. It is good. Uh, and then looking forward, there's another new show that starts on HBO this weekend. It's a docu-series, which docu-series are something we're going to be seeing a lot of mm-hmm. um, in the coming weeks. And it's called The Vow, and it's about the Nexium cult. I don't know if you're familiar with that or the story behind it, because that made a lot of headlines when they finally broke that up. 
but it, this was the ostensibly like a, a growth and wellness organization that had all these different branches to it. But there was sort of a guru figure, Keith Rainier, who was having sex with a lot of the women in the group. And ultimately they were, uh, there was like this sorority within the group where they were branding the women and brainwashing them and all this kind of stuff. And uh, Yikes. yeah, so it's, it's really, it can be tough to watch, but it's really interesting. And it's interesting to see the people who were going through this really talking about it on camera and how difficult it was to actually, you know, muster the courage to, to get out of it. Because as you might imagine, anytime someone tried to leave and potentially, you know, tell people what was going on there, they, they, uh, things didn't go so well. They, they were threatened and, and, uh, among other things. So, um, so you've got two picks from HBO, uh, yeah. the Vow, uh, and, uh, and Love, Lovecraft Country is HBO, right? It is. Yeah. I want to mention something very quickly. There was a lovely article in the Washington Post by Billy McEntee. Do you know him? I don't. Writer I'm not familiar with. And I don't know if you saw this, but uh, he is a fan of the film Junebug which is now 15 years old. And God, that says doesn't sound he, right. <laughs> no, it doesn't. He, he says that he uses Junebug as a litmus test for his friendships. And I thought it was a beautifully written article and it uh, piqued my interest. So uh, Gina and I downloaded for $3.95 Junebug on Amazon Prime and I was blown away by how well that uh, film has uh, aged. And, uh, you know, we remember Junebug as the film that made it the star of Amy Adams. Uh, yeah. But beyond that, uh, and uh, the writer is stating it as uh, a great study of uh, Blue State meets Red State. Uh, it's, uh, it stars M. Beth Davids, whom I looked up, I knew her a little bit, and I kept thinking, where do I know her from? She played the wife of the British guy who came and took over the ad agency in Mad Men. She played the character right. uh, Lane Price's wife, mm -hmm. if that means anything to you. She's very thin and sophisticated and beautiful and she's married this young man from North Carolina after knowing him for a week and they're very sexual and very hot for each other and they go to visit his family and his family is a, a middle-class blue-collar uh, working-class family in I think Winston-Salem and the director does some things that just really struck me. In other words, to, to show the difference between the sophisticated uh, art gallery owner and, uh, and the family of her husband, he just takes a shot of the rooms in the house. So you just, you look at the living room for about a minute, and then you look at the bedroom with the, the gold carpet and, and the kitchen with the avocado stove, and and it just it says uh, volumes. I I was just I was blown away by it, and I would really recommend anybody watch Junebug again. And, and of course, and Amy Adams as sort of a chatterbox uh, innocent uh, steals the movie. It's wonderful uh, to watch. 
And now speaking of wonderful things, <laughs> it's time to expand our universe and say hello to this week's guest critic. The reason we're all together today, she reviews for Pajiba as well as the AV Club and for RogerEbert.com. She and Jen go back a ways and I have enjoyed my times with her and she's been with us before. So let's say hello to Rocky Haddadi. Yeah. Hey, hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Rocky. Hello. If I could remind everyone, Rocky uh, belongs to the family that uh, gets together at least once a year to watch The Godfather, and I have deep respect for that. So what are you watching these days? Well, uh, along with you guys, I am watching Lovecraft Country, so that's been that's been a good addition. But and what's also, your take on that? My take on it is that I actually like that the monsters are very tangible and real. Mm. I actually really enjoy that. It is a bit of a switch from the book, which I'm about 20 pages away from finishing. Mm. But I like that it actually does give you some of that very tangible Lovecraft horror. And I think it takes it to a little bit of a different place so that it is simultaneously a social commentary, which I think so far has been fairly thoughtful and also something that is a little more like genre focused, which I am enjoying so far. So I've been liking that. And I also am forever telling people about a movie I saw early in our self-isolation period called Driveways, which was Brian Dennehy's final role on screen. Mm. And it is available, I think, on video on demand right now. And it is about an unlikely friendship between Brian Dennehy's character, who is a widower and a veteran, and he is living by himself, just trying to get through the rest of his life. And this young Asian American boy who moves in next door as his mother is cleaning out the house that used to belong to his sister. And the two of them just have really great chemistry, Brian Dennehy and this young actor, Lucas J. And it's just very gentle and compassionate. And I feel like it was really something I needed to watch in the beginning of quarantine. And I just sort of keep thinking about it. I really loved that film. And I also have kept thinking about this documentary I saw, which I believe Jen also saw called Boys State, mm -hmm. which is yeah. screaming on Apple TV. And it follows the Boys State program, which I, I did not know about. So that was in and of itself a learning experience for me. But this program organized by the American Legion, which basically puts boys and girls who are in separate programs into sort of like a almost like a mock UN state government and elections over the period of a week and that movie that documentary I don't I don't know it really it unnerved me Jen yeah I understand <laughs> there's a blue state red state uh, yeah uh, the same as I uh, observed in June uh, in June bug that yes uh, that really gives uh, a lot of depth to it. Jen? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a great documentary. And I, I understand why you were unnerved by it. Uh, without giving too much away, there are certain kids in the program who really have decided that their political playbook should be based on the way the Trump administration operates in a lot of ways, which is disturbing. But then there are also these other young men, um, this one boy in particular named Stephen Garza, who is just 
uh, like I would vote for him for president like right now. I don't care that he's not the right age, you know, like he's he's very thoughtful and eloquent and just really seems to be coming from a place of integrity. And then another kid, um, Renee, who uh, I also thought was just incredibly impressive. So I took I found some hope in watching those young men. I, I do feel like I don't know if you agree, Rocky, I do feel like Stephen had an impact on some some kids who otherwise would not have been paying him much attention. Like I, I think he did, especially the I think his name was Rob, the one who um, Robert. Yes, who is um, I refer to as either less thoughtful Tim Riggins or <laughs> young Josh Hartnett. Um, Jen, <laughs> I refer to him as both of these things. I called him Riggins, <laughs> and I called him Josh Hartnett's character from Virgin Suicides. I was yeah. like, yes, 100%. yes, hundred percent, yes. I agree. I do think that he, I do think he clearly had an impact on people that he met because I think he forced them to sort of slow down mm-hmm. and think about where their political opinions were really coming from. I think for me, to your point, not to get into like spoilery territory, but for me, it was just sort of fascinating watching how swiftly their understanding of the political process went toward gamification Yes, and just how competitive it became and over the span of a week. So in that way, I was very unnerved, I think, by just how like rapidly that sort of change took hold. Right. But that was really fascinating. That's on Apple TV. This is set in Texas, by the way. Yeah. This Does is- that add a, a another layer of, of something to it? I, th- I think it does. Um, I mean, part of the reason I think they were motivated to make it when they did is because the year before at Boys State, they had made some headlines because they had voted first uh, Texas to secede from the United States, <laughs> <laughs> which is a very teenage boy thing to do. Yeah, right. uh, and uh, and that was something that comes up in the documentary that there some of the young men who are there are like, guys, let's not let's not wild out here. Let's actually do something constructive. Yeah, there very much is a division between people who seem like they're there to like have fun, which is sort of understandable, and people who are there, I think, and taking it more seriously as like as it is something you applied for and something you interviewed for and something hopefully that you can, you know, take with you as sort of a learning experience. So there very much is that divide, which I think is probably exacerbated by the fact that they're in Texas, which I think is like the most American of American states in its own mind. So that was sort of interesting. (laughs) And another film that I loved, and I'm not sure, Jen, if you saw this one or Arch, if you saw this one, was Miss Juneteenth. Um, No, but I've read a lot about it and I want to watch it. Yes. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. I, I really loved that film. It is now available on Canopy, which is a service that's been sort of saving my mind over the past few months. It's a partnership with your local public library. So if you have a library card and you sign mm. up for Canopy, you get 10 free views of movies a month. And they get a lot of like indie new releases and they have a lot of A24 films. But I really love Miss Juneteenth. It stars Nicole Bahari as a woman who had one a Miss Juneteenth pageant also in Texas and who hopes that her daughter will follow in her footsteps and it's sort of just about a lot of the unique experience of being a single mother in America being a single mother who is black in America and just trying to keep yourself afloat in a time and a place that might not make that very easy for you and I just thought it was a very like naturalistic empathetic sort of film and very lovely in the same way as driveways just sort of quiet and character driven and more about like 
you know, the difficulty sometimes of being alive. And that has really resonated with me in this time. So I would also well, wholeheartedly recommend that. Let me jump in that. here and ask you about uh, the impact of watching a film like Miss Juneteenth or Driveways on cable, as mm -hmm. opposed to watching it from the back. You know, and I always go back to this, but I, this is where I am. I, I'd rather see that in the back row of the Avalon or at uh, Landmark mm -hmm. uh, or at an independent movie house than uh, on cable. Uh, is any of that resonating with you? I think so to a certain degree because I also, I love and I miss the theater experience very much mm -hmm. and sort of that camaraderie that you get from being in a movie theater, either that is filled with like-minded people or also where sometimes you're the only person checking out a film and there's yeah. a sort of unique elegance to that as well. But I think right now, this time, it feels like a lot of these movies that might've gotten lost in that shuffle are able to get a bit more attention because I do think that both driveways and Miss Juneteenth, I could be wrong. I think that they had very limited theater runs. So I think also in some ways, like right now is the great equalizer. Like if you have cable or if you can rent something, you can watch it in your own home and you don't necessarily need to try and find, okay, where is the one art house theater that would be playing these movies? Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. we are sort of in that transitional space, right? Like movie theaters more and more are becoming very blockbuster franchise oriented. It can be mm -hmm. hard to find these mm -hmm. films, but you know, movies are made to be seen on a big screen. So I just think we're in sort of a weird space space where things are sort of changing but like you I've seen a lot of chatter about Miss Juneteenth I have seen some talk about driveways so I'm hopeful that these movies which normally might not have like super large audiences at least have some more legs in an at-home format. Now that we have a guest coming in I always like to pitch the question what is your take on the future where do you see us going? Oh man, I you know I think I think it's there are a, a lot of ways. To know. Well, I just think there are a lot of ways that it could go because I've seen you know I've seen a lot of people thinking, and I could see this happening, that maybe Netflix and Disney start buying theaters and they buy theaters to show their own properties. So I've seen that sort of idea floating because like the margins to run a movie theater are now so thin and so concession based, and like who knows what happens when Tenet comes out like I have no idea <laughs> what happens when Tenet comes out if people go and see it or not but I think the future is probably a lot like this where we see a lot of these smaller character-driven indie sort of films end up on on demand or at home and you do build sort of a tiered structure which might be unfortunate and which might end up being a reflection of assumed quality that like these movies couldn't make it in a theater so just send them send them to the at-home format or sell them to Netflix or end them up on streaming and while I do think that is unfortunate because I think it usually does end up negatively affecting films that star people of color or that are written by people of color. I also think that it sort of opens them up because like pretty much everybody has a TV in their house or everybody has a laptop or everybody has a phone. And so maybe that does open up some more opportunities to see things that you wouldn't normally see. But I don't love it. I do miss the movie theater. <laughs> I missed like a 72 ounce Cherry Coke Zero. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. So I do want to get back in there. I just don't know when that'll be. They're starting to open, you know, in the next week or two. In theory, if you wanted to go to a theater in Northern Virginia, you could. I don't think that I would 
want to do that just because I don't know that it's safe yet. Like I, I, I'm worried that it's going to be a, a kind of like what we've seen with the colleges where they reopened and then mm-hmm. they've had to shut down or there have been cases or just people are not going to go. I mean, right. which doesn't really bode well either. I just, my, my sense from talking to people and reading social media and things is that people don't feel ready to, to go back into a theater yet. Right. I read a piece, the AV Club did a piece where they spoke with a couple of epidemiologists <laughs> and basically all the public health professionals were like, yeah, a theater where you're like laughing and maybe talking, yeah. sort of like engaging in these shared activities might not be the best thing. <laughs> I would um, remind you both of the, I think it's 1999 movie, Outbreak. Yes, the uh, hot zone. And there's a scene where they're in a movie theater and somebody sneezes and then it follows the sneeze back and it gets on somebody else and it's just like, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and I mean, like, not to be frank, but like, none of us can go to a movie anymore where somebody doesn't take out their phone. So like, (laughs) if somebody can't put a phone away, I don't know how we can necessarily trust that they would keep a mask on. So I am just, I'm very interested to see how this would go. You know, Jen, we could rent a theater for like $150 and just see a movie by ourselves. Yeah. So that's an option. Yes. Cinemark apparently is offering that option. So it's like, if you and a couple of your friends wanted to pitch in and like still see the movie in the theater, but only see it with people you trust, you could do that. So I think they were offering that for Tenet and the new mutants and maybe David Copperfield. Yeah. And I think the Alamo is doing the same thing only at a couple of their locations, not here. Right. It's just funny. Like, I mean, I guess if you got enough people, it would be affordable. Yeah. I mean, I think movie theaters around here, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm in Columbia. So a suburb of Baltimore movie theater tickets around here can be like $20. Right. So it's really not that bad. So for $37.50, the four of us, <laughs> could all go see Tenet. <laughs> hey, hey, Lou, can I borrow thirty-seven fifty? No, no, Arch, but I will tell you, I'm very impressed about your, uh, your arithmetic. You did very oh, well. Yeah, that I'm, was good. You know, I've gotten cheap in all of this. I'm still uh, furious about twenty-nine ninety-five to watch Mulan. Oh yeah. When I could watch uh, Junebug for, and I don't mind paying three ninety-nine, mm-hmm. uh, thirty bucks. I do think it's been interesting. I mean, because I think for families, like if you have a couple kids, then uh, a lot of yeah. those prices don't seem so bad. I mean, I can understand Mulan if you had, you know, two kids that you wanted to go with you and movie tickets are 15 to $20. Like it's sort of a wash. Um, but for people who maybe live alone or you're watching a movie that maybe the person you live with is not interested in. Yeah. I mean, $30 is a lot. And really for Mulan, it's 37 because you have to subscribe to Disney Plus to even be able to rent it yeah. through Disney Plus. Oh, so I man. think that's also one of those sort of scary things we're seeing is a lot of like the consolidation of vertical mm-hmm. structures. You know, like if you can only see a movie through a certain carrier or whatever, I mean, they can really charge whatever they want. So mm-hmm. that's also sort of the flip side of all this. Uh, Rocky, uh, is there anything coming up on one of your websites we should uh, look for? Oh, uh, I have an essay coming to RogerEbert.com. I think it's in like a couple weeks, maybe the 27th, about the 2019 film Ad Astra, which I really, mm. really, really loved. Um, and it's sort of a look back on that film a year after its release. So 
you could look for that piece and it would be cool if you read it. And Jen, what are you working on these days? Um, <laughs> everything. Jen's working on everything. What are you not working on? Uh, I find there's a review of mine that should be out today for a show called Hoops, which I do not recommend. It's a Netflix animated series about a high school basketball coach. With, it's got a great voice cast, but it's not, it's just a lot of um, crude humor for the sake of crude humor without much thoughtfulness around it. I'm reviewing The Vow, which I talked about earlier. I interviewed um, Robin Thede. Uh, who created Black Lady Sketch Show, which got some Emmy nominations. And if you've never seen Black Lady Sketch Show, which is another HBO show, catch up on, on that. That is, it's so funny. And it's the first sketch series that's ever been directed, written, and performed entirely by Black women. Uh, mm. So it's uh, pioneering in addition to being really funny. And that's vulture.com. Yes. Lou, you wanted to watch... Uh, an American pickle. Did you ever? Did you ever find it? We found it. We watched it. We ate it, and it was so. And it was so so. I'm a, I'm a Seth I'm a Seth Rogen fan and, and uh, a proud Jew. And I don't know how much appeal arch this particular film will have for those who aren't of the Jewish faith. I mean, I, I certainly it's people can certainly follow along with it, but there is a, a lot of. Jew in it. I, I, I think the strongest thing about it was actually Seth Rogen's performance. I thought that was one of the stronger performances he's given playing a dual role. It, it was a, a little more depth than we usually get to see from him. I had trouble uh, getting HBO Plus and I'm an HBO subscriber and I also had HBO Go. <laughs> Don't get Rocky started. And, <laughs> oh, you too? All I've done is tweet about how frustrating HBO Max is and I know yeah. that every time I tweet Jen somewhere is just like shaking her head like Rocky won't let this one go. But it is so <laughs> difficult. <laughs> Why is it not on Roku? How did they not work out a partnership? Drives me crazy. So so that was my American pickle. <laughs> <laughs> and and they made me feel even dumber than I am because I couldn't because you know, I've got other stuff. I got Hulu. I think they made it very difficult. I mean, I think first and foremost, the fact that it's still called HBO Max, the reason for that was because they were going to carry Cinemax content. And then like two months after the announcement, they also very quietly were like, oh, by the way, we're not carrying Cinemax properties anymore. So they kept the HBO Max name, although they dropped that aspect of it. And they didn't work out a deal yet with Amazon or with Roku. And, and I, got, I got the streaming and movie thing for mm -hmm. HBO. And of course, the pickle thing. Is not, I need Lou to, to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> He's the only one who could figure it out. I, I didn't have a problem either. But I don't have the Roku situation that Rocky does. I have a smart yeah. TV. I added the app to my smart TV. Uh -oh. And oh. There they definitely go. prioritized that, which is really, I think if you had a smart TV, that's great. But like I have HBO through Verizon, so I was able to watch HBO on my Roku, but then they disabled that aspect of it. So if no. you got HBO through a cable provider, you can't watch HBO Max through your Roku. So I just think it's interesting because I think Roku, I think 40% of streaming is now done through Roku in the U.S. So I just feel like they really are limiting themselves in terms of not having like a deal for everybody to be able to watch it through Roku. But that, I mean, that very much goes back to the idea of like Disney Plus and you can only rent Mulan through Disney Plus. It's like now every company has their own device that you also need oh for streaming. God. And it's just a lot. It's a lot of stuff. 
So, uh, by the way, I should uh, remind everybody that this podcast comes to you on, uh, what are we on, Lou? iTunes? We are on SoundCloud. SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Spotify. We're on Spotify. Ooh. We're on Stitcher. Yeah, we're, we're in, available in a lot of places for sure. We have a podcast on Spotify. Does that mean that Michelle Obama is our colleague? <laughs> I suspect yes. she's probably yes. got a few more downloads than we do. You think? But, but you never know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we need to take a quick break here with our podcast. I want you to listen to what Hound Radio has planned for you this Labor Day weekend. What a summer it's been. You ready to go to work? Oh my God, I'm so ready to go to work. We're going to give you a lot of briefings in the next week and over the next few weeks. We have a moral obligation to set something, to do something. 200 million Americans are experiencing unusually high temperatures. The summer of 2020 has been cruel, hot, stressful, and in many ways, one we'd like to forget about. So let the vets at Hound Radio take you away this Labor Day weekend with music. Hot town, summer in the city. Great songs that remind you of summer's past. I'm picking up good vibrations. Beach, baby, beach, baby, there are the sand. It's our Hound Radio So Long to Summer Weekend. It starts 5 p.m. Friday, September 4th and runs all holiday weekend long. Farewell, summer of 2020, from the station that's still cleaning sand from its musical paws, Hound Radio. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. Okay, so now let's go to Jen's favorite segment, Flashbacks and Favorites. It's a new title. Used to be What's Your Favorite. Yeah, What's Your Favorite Whatever wasn't working for me, so I thought (laughs) I would give it a different name. So the question I came up with is actually relevant to what we've just been talking about, which is what is your favorite movie theater? Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. I want Netflix to buy the Uptown Theater and use that uh, because they've got the money to do it and use that to show their material. So. Uh, I would say uh, overall the Uptown Theater. I used to, I loved that place and I loved that it had a balcony and I saw so many movies that I loved there, including uh, one afternoon, a uh, revival of uh, The Wizard of Oz in the Uptown Theater with Gina and we just had the best time. And uh, that's, I, I don't even have to think about it. Uptown Theater. Um, I think mine is, I have a lot of fondness towards the Charles in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, you know, it has a lot of history. It's sort of on the smaller side of things and tucked back behind Micah and it's a little difficult to find. Um, but it's had a lot of really nice renovations lately and I've been honored to be a speaker in their Cinema Sundays mm. series. And so I just, I really like the community there. It really feels like a theater where Everybody knows everybody in the neighborhood. And it's just, I just think it's a really beloved place. Come on, Jen. (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, I love the Uptown also, but um, 
the two theaters that came to my mind, one from when I was a kid, it no longer exists, was, I don't know if you remember, when Tyson's Corner, there used to be like a movie theater in the, like the basement, the lowest yeah. level. Yeah. And then there was another theater on a higher level in the mall that that's where I saw Return of the Jedi and I thought it was very fancy. I'm sure it really wasn't that fancy, but at the time it was like the fanciest movie theater I'd ever been in. And then now my favorite theater is the Arclight because that's mm. closest to me. I, I love the fact that they don't play commercials. They only have three trailers. I love that the staff will come in and like introduce each movie and really make it feel like it's something, you know, special. And I believe they have the most comfortable movie theater seats in the entire Washington, D.C. area. I just want to say the leather chairs where they're really stacked and it's like you can't even see people in front of you, kind of. Some of the theaters that are like that, like those, those chairs are really nice, but I also, like, I have no sense that anybody else is around me. I have a runner-up very quickly. Uh, I mean, the Uptown is still number one, but my second favorite, if you don't mind my dropping a name, is the Alamo Draft House on South Lamar in Austin. I went to a screening there and it was the greatest screening I ever attended in my life. It was a screening of Sorry to Bother You during South by Southwest. And they started by showing a kinescope of, uh, of a Spike Jones TV show. <laughs> and by the time the movie came on, we were psyched. It was a wonderful theater. Louie, where have you been to the movies that you like? The Family Drive-In in Stephen City, Virginia. <laughs> you know, the popcorn The popcorn sort of sucks, but you got a big screen and keep your air conditioning on. And My one favorite place where I ever saw a movie ever was uh, at the MPAA. Now, this is before I think they redid it several years ago. But uh, I thought that was just a nice little intimate place. I went there so long ago you could smoke in there. People <laughs> were smoking. Tom Shales was in the back, I think, smoking and throwing <laughs> lighted cigarette butts at Gary Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> they were not very well behaved. <laughs> oh, man. That's very the AFI is also great. Oh, yeah. The yes, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, shall we uh, Shall we wrap this up? What are our final thoughts? Jennifer? I have to have a final thought. Um, <laughs> I, 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 my final thought is I don't have a final thought. <laughs> Rocky, Touché. thank you so much for being oh, with man. us. No, not you, at all. It was a delight. You, you, <laughs> it's always a pleasure to have you. Any, any final words for you? Yeah, sign up for Canopy. It's a great service. Support your local mm. public library. Watch some new movies. Stay safe out there. I just want to remind everyone, that whatever you're thinking of doing, don't do it. <laughs> That's what <laughs> they told me at the service department of my car dealership. And I'm living by that advice now. Lewis, how are we going to wrap this? Well, we're going to wrap this with a, a summer song, Arch. And I want to know what your favorite summer song is. You must have one. Uh, it's a summer song by, uh, who is it? Chad and Jeremy? That's right, Arch. Chad and Jeremy. Very good. I'm impressed. I used to be a disc jockey. <laughs> <laughs> like you. <laughs> it used to be. Anyway, thank you folks for listening, and we'll catch you, what, September 4th, right, Arch? September 4th, right before Labor Day, and I suggest that next week we make a list, in two weeks we make a list of the things we loved best this summer. Trees swaying in the summer breeze Showing off their silver leaves 
as we walked by soft kisses on a summer's day laughing all our cares away just you and I sweet sleepy warmth of summer nights gazing at the distant lights in the starry sky they say that all good things must end someday autumn leaves must fall but don't you know that it hurts me so to say goodbye to you wish you didn't have to my window pane I'll think of summer days again and dream of you They say that all good things must end someday Autumn leaves must fall Don't you know that it hurts me so to say goodbye to you wish you didn't have to go no 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 and when the rain beats against my window pane I'll think of summer days again and dream of you This is the Cats Podcasting System.